Being raised in America by Vietnamese refugees, I believed that we were better off than everyone in Vietnam. Here, we have freedom and the ability to work, make money, move up in the world, live the American dream. Over there in Vietnam, a communist society, merit will only take you so far. And that's why so many people left. For a long time, families like ours had, and still have, an obligation to help those left behind by sending back medicine, clothes, and cash. And I have to be honest, I grew to believe that somehow we, the Viet Gieu, or overseas Vietnamese, were superior. People in Vietnam were stuck in an impoverished country while we lived in the most powerful nation on earth. Growing up, I didn't have a strong desire to get to know my cousins who lived in Vietnam, and I had no interest in my family friends from Vietnam either. One of my dad's friends has a son, and after my sisters and I visited Vietnam for the first time back in 2003, he wanted to befriend us. And my first thought was why? He met us in Saigon and wrote a friendly email to us after we'd left, and I ignored it. I assumed that he was probably looking for a ticket to America. That sounds so mean, right? Especially because now I'm on a mission to understand everything I can about my Vietnamese heritage, all those things that I once took for granted. For a long time, I buried my heritage. My idea of being American was to overlook anything that made me seem different from my mostly white peers, anything that made me Vietnamese. But as much as I try to ignore that side of myself, I've never been able to shake the feeling that there's a piece of me that's missing. And maybe that piece is in Vietnam. So during my recent trip to Vietnam, I took it as an opportunity to explore this idea. What if I left my home in Seattle and moved to Vietnam? Crazy, right? I'm a grown woman. I could do it if I wanted to. But do I want to? Would life in Vietnam help resolve some of the dilemmas in my life? That's what I'm going to explore in today's episode. I'm Tan Tan, and you're listening to Second Wave, an American story that begins in Vietnam. The moment I stepped off the plane, my first thought was, God, it's hot. I'm sweating like crazy. I was at Tang Sung Yuk International Airport in Ho Chi Minh City. A lot of Vietnamese Americans, like me, still call it Saigon. Um, oh, this is me. Got it. Okay. Oh, God. I picked up my luggage at the carousel, and it included heavy boxes full of things for my family, who still live in Vietnam. Here's the other one. This one's freaking heavy. Big bottles of lotion for my cousins, toys for their kids, protein shakes, and canned sardines for my grandmother. Plus, a heavy suitcase filled with clothes and medicine for my aunt. Okay, we're good, we're good. I loaded all of these goodies on one of those airport luggage carts, and I started walking toward the exit to meet with my aunt and uncle who were picking me up from the airport. We have to declare our goods, so I'm really curious if we're going to make it through. I'm going to try to pass as a Vietnamese person who doesn't speak Vietnamese. 
so that they don't try to bribe me. Years of experience from other VICUs has taught me that if you are two Vietnamese at this airport, they'll know that you've come back from the States with cash and they'll shake you down for payments. I've learned that there are times when it benefits me to act more American and there are times that I should act more Vietnamese. And that's me, one foot in each country. But what if I were to put both feet in Vietnam? It's fun to dream about. This country is pure eye candy. It seduces you. There are mopeds zooming, food sizzling on the street, every place bursting with color and energy. And Vietnamese people love music. You hear it everywhere. My uncle has this old reel-to-reel tape player that he plays every morning. And hearing these oldies made me think of the amazing black and white photos of my parents in their youth, with their friends, at their wedding. During this trip, I wanted to see everything, all the options. So I traveled the entire country, from the southern city of Gamao to Saigon, and the central towns of Da Nang and Hoi An, to the northern capital city of Hanoi and scenic Halong Bay. I wanted to take it all in. And while I knew I was basically a tourist during this journey, I wanted to get a sense of what life is like for other Viet Gyus who've moved to Vietnam. So while I was in Saigon, I met up with my friend Qua Pham to get his perspective. He's a Vietnamese American and a refugee who lived in the United States and then moved back to Vietnam to work for Microsoft. He's lived here for nearly six years now. Now, if there's someone who knows about the pros and cons of life in America versus Vietnam, it's Qua. We made plans to catch up over pho for breakfast, and that's a common thing in Vietnam. And on the way, we explored this narrow alleyway where his favorite pho place is. There's a bunch of Hondas. It's just really cool. It, I feel like it, it's like minty green walls and like fans. It's like the Vietnam in my dreams. But somehow it looks cooler here. I could imagine myself riding down this mysterious narrow cement path every morning on my Honda moped, with the light shining down between the buildings. I'd see a woman wearing a conical hat selling a basket of bright pink dragon fruit, and I'd buy some, maybe for a snack later. Then I'd grab a seat in a tiny restaurant where the owners live in the back of the shop, and I'd be consumed by the smell of pho and basil leaves and lime wafting through the air. And I would just take everything in. And that wouldn't be a problem, because no one is in a hurry. It sounds amazing. As I waited for my pho and drifted back to reality, I thought to myself, if I lived in Vietnam, I'd be eating Vietnamese food all day, every day. And that would be awesome. And Kwa says Vietnamese food is different from Vietnamese food in the U.S. Take pho, for instance. It's, um, it's kind of overwhelming when you get a bowl of pho in the U.S. It's like a tub of pho, right, as opposed to a bowl. Kwa says in Vietnam, people take joy in the little things, and there's a different pace to life here. A lot of times people will just pull up a chair, and they'll, they'll sit there and watch traffic. No. To us, you're probably going, okay, you're inhaling pollution, you know, you, you, you're probably, so yeah, you, you know, you're probably poisoning your lungs. But for them, you know, it's as simple as uh, watching, you know, the traffic and watching life 
And I, I think that's something as simple as that. Time kind of slows down a little bit in, in, in this part of the world, and I really enjoy that. I'm a bit of a workaholic, so maybe if I lived in Vietnam, I'd take life at a slower pace. But my job makes me happy. I'm a storyteller for Microsoft, and my background is in journalism. What would my potential career path be in Vietnam? To help me answer this question, I met up with Bao Nguyen. He's a storyteller and filmmaker. We're both former producer fellows for PBS, so we have a lot in common. But he moved to Vietnam a few years back because his career in New York was getting stressful. You know, it was draining creatively. I didn't have enough time to work on my own projects because I was, you know, financially restrained by having to pay the rent. As many people know, New York rent is very expensive. Things got easier for him after he moved to Vietnam. I got like all these job offers kind of immediately and it seemed to me I didn't have to do much work to get job offers here in Vietnam and everything came just a little easier, especially when people found out that I was from the U.S. Plus, Bao says it's an exciting time to be here. You know, visiting a place like Vietnam, and especially Saigon, it was such a dynamic city, so youthful, so energetic, and just in a place that was growing quite quickly. So as a Vietnamese American, I wanted to be a part of that growth. You know, people always think, oh, you're going to move to, like, Vietnam. It sounds like a bigger deal than it actually turned out to be. That does sound exciting. If Bao and Quag can make it here doing awesome work in their respective fields, maybe I can too. Okay, so if I move my whole life to Vietnam, where would I live? One thing about my life in Seattle is I'm busy, really busy. Between work and family and my social life, I sometimes feel really overwhelmed. And there are times I ask myself, would life at a slower pace be for me? Some of my family lives in the countryside, my grandparents' old farm is in Changbom, a rural town in Dongnai province outside of Saigon. And it's pretty idyllic. We're in my mom's jackfruit garden. It's in the back of my parents' old farm. And she started growing it a few years ago. And uh, all this jackfruit is coming out. So it's in season right now, and it's harvest season, harvest time. And a lot of the jackfruits are falling. But we're going to have some. <laughs> My mom planted jackfruit here years ago. Jackfruit is beloved throughout Vietnam, and one of my favorites. It's really heavy and big, ugly and spiky on the outside. My aunt breaks out the butcher knife to slice it open, usually over a bunch of newspapers on the cement patio, revealing a bright yellow and delicious fruit on the inside. I devour it every time I'm in Vietnam. And this farm is where my 92-year-old Bang Wai still lives with my uncle. The home is a modest wooden structure with a perimeter that's opened up during the day. I love visiting this farm, but I have to say, I cannot stand the tropical heat, and there is no air conditioning. And I love that this is where my grandparents lived off the land, but the surrounding area is changing. Industrial factories are moving in, and it's just not the same as it used to be. I'll figure out where to live later. We'll be right back. Hey, Second Wave listeners. It's me, Arwen Nix. I am the co-founder of the podcast from KOW, How's Your Day? 
and it tells you a story you don't know from a day we all remember. We want to tell you what we know as we know it, but we just got a report in that there's been some sort of explosion at the World Trade Center. Now with another update for you on the Columbine High School shooting. Mount St. Helens will never be the same again, perhaps news all of update us. And the news out of Paris on the condition of Princess Diana is not good. Subscribe to How's Your Day wherever you get your podcasts. Nelson Mandela to be released tomorrow, and as you might expect, that is a moment that this country will not soon forget. Okay, so here's another reality about my life in the U.S. I'm single in my 30s. The average age of marriage in Vietnam is 22. So yeah, I'm a dinosaur in Vietnam. An old maid. If I'd grown up here, I'd probably already be hitched to the guy next door and have two or three kids. My mom is pretty disappointed that I have not followed the path of my cousins. They're all younger than me, all of them with kids. The two that I'm closest to went to college, got married, and had babies before they turned 30. Several others got married while they were still teenagers. That's how things work in Vietnam. Pretty simple. Start a family, keep the lineage going. So it came as no surprise that, while I was visiting friends and family, a well-meaning auntie tried to set me up. I have a nephew in Oregon, and he's just a couple hours away from you, she said. My friend Bao, the filmmaker, is in a committed relationship. I got so wistful hearing him talk about his girlfriend, who's Vietnamese, I admitted that I missed being with someone. Would dating in Vietnam be any easier? Could I date a Vietnamese person who didn't grow up in America? And would I have time or would I make time to go out more? In the back of my head, I've always wondered what my life would have been like if I had grown up here, if my parents had never escaped. This whole exercise reminds me of It's a Wonderful Life, one of my favorite holiday movies. A film that asks that universal question so many of us ask ourselves. What might have been had circumstances in our lives been different? Well, hello, Mr. Bank Examiner. How are Mr. Bailey, there's a death. I know, $8,000. George, I've got a little paper. I'll bet it's a warrant for my arrest. Isn't it wonderful? I'm going to jail. Merry Christmas. Reporters, are, where's Mary? Mary, oh, look at this wonderful old drafty house. Mary! Such a classic. If you're second generation, you've almost certainly asked yourself what life would be like if you went down a different path stayed in your parents' home country. Maybe you have a cousin or a sibling who did this. You see what their lives are like and compare it to your own. For me, possibly the best window into this alternate reality is a man I call McVeigh. This is my dad's, like, one of his best friends, (laughs) McVeigh, and he's holding up a photo of my family, which he keeps here on the wall in his home. I consider McVeigh a version of my father if he had stayed in Vietnam and not escaped. They have a lot in common. Beck V is one of my dad's best friends. He was a groomsman at my parents' wedding. He also once served in the South Vietnamese Army and, like my dad, was a teacher. He's a really cool and classy man, and you wouldn't look at him and think that he's ever suffered. My dad is really lucky to have such a loyal friend. As we sat down at his home in Saigon, he launched right into their history. He says the two of them went to school together, taught at the same school, and were sent to re-education camp after the Vietnam War, where they were cellmates. 
He told me about their struggles in the re-education camp, how they rationed their food, had to make their own clothes. After Bekvi was released, he tried to escape, but he wasn't as lucky as our family was. I was thrown in prison after each attempt and was banned from teaching, Bekvi tells me. Not only was his family forced to work hard labor, but he was relegated to working as a cyclo-driver for years. He raised his family with his late wife in Vietnam. It was hard. Because his kids were the children of a former South Vietnamese officer, they didn't have the same opportunities that we had. The trauma remains with them to this day. Hearing about their fate makes me feel an enormous sense of guilt and sadness. It was his son who tried to befriend us years ago, and I feel awful for ignoring him. Yet, Bakvi remains such a positive, joyful presence. Now in his 70s, he still tutors students. Your father planned things out so carefully back then, and that's why you have the life you have now, he says, with no trace of bitterness in his voice. He tells me he's proud of us, my sisters and me, and I want to cry. While Vietnam seems a bustling, exciting place now, his resilience and wisdom reminds me that things were not always this way. Bekvi knows that I was a journalist for a long time, and when I ask him whether it might be possible for me to reach out to a former South Vietnamese radio reporter still living and blogging in Vietnam, he stops me in my tracks. You need to be careful. In fact, I don't think you should risk it, he warns me. And to paraphrase him, the government is always watching and following anyone who appears to be a dissident, and I would be inviting suspicion if I tried to see someone associated with the old regime even now, 42 years after the war. I had a hard time believing that I would actually get in trouble. But here is a man who's lost everything in his life, again and again and again. And that's when it dawned on me. I'm a privileged American citizen, shielded from the suffering of everyday Vietnamese people. I've never been told to shy away from researching a potential story because the U.S. government might be spying. As much as Vietnam can dazzle you with its vibrancy, its energy, and beautiful scenery, this is still the scene of a historic and bloody civil war that killed millions on all sides. There were winners and losers, and the victors still care about hanging on to power. Bekvi used to be a loyal sounding board for my dad, and here he was giving me a reality check on my dreams of maybe moving here. And I realized what it would really mean to commit to moving to Vietnam. I talked to my friend Kwa Pham about this over Pha, and it was, yet again, another much-needed reality check. You know, people come to Vietnam and sometimes they get eaten up alive, right? One thing about Vietnam is that you have to bring a lot of humor and a lot of patience, uh, because things are different. But more importantly, I think, I think you should have a purpose of why you want to come back, right? I'm not suggesting that it has to be some lofty purpose, but I think it can be as simple as saying, hey, you know what, I'm Vietnamese, and I want to know more about Vietnam. It's as simple as that. And so you, you chart out what you want to do, because I, but I think you have to come back for your own purpose. I don't think I have that purpose yet. It was an overwhelming sense of purpose that inspired my parents to escape Vietnam by boat and start a new life in a new country. 
they gave up so much. All I'd have to do to move back is buy a one-way ticket on a commercial flight. Many of our parents want my generation to help bring freedom and democracy to Vietnam. But the irony is, there are still so many things that need to be changed in the Vietnamese community, in America as well. And this change will require the younger generation, the second wave, to step up and to contribute energy and knowledge on a local level. For my friends Kwa Pham and Bao Nguyen, moving back to Vietnam worked for them. They feel a connection to the homeland of their parents. I have other Vietnamese friends in the U.S. who are fully Americanized. I'm somewhere in between. But I was born in America. This is my home. This is the place that made me who I am. Second Wave is a production of KUOW and PRX. Our producer is Caroline Chamberlain. Our editor is Jim Gates. I'm your host, Ton Tan. Music in this episode is by Sabzi, Hongkong, and Chris Zabriskie. This is the last episode of Second Wave for the season. But don't worry, we'll be back early next year. If you've been enjoying Second Wave, please take a moment and review us on Apple Podcasts. It will help us get the word out. And if you're Vietnamese-American, we'd love to hear your story. We might even base a future episode around it. So drop us a note on our Facebook page or Twitter at Second Wave K-U-O-W. Or send us an email at secondwave at K-U-O-W dot O-R-G. Thanks for listening. Come again next year. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, guys.